I met Eddie in 2003 when we were both attending Southwestern College in Chula Vista. A friend of a friend of a friend, Eddie quickly became part of the gang, hanging out on the grass, playing guitar, throwing the frisbee around, community college, California. Eddie was the first person my age that made me think, oh, this guy's an artist. While me and my friends made the rounds of the typical student jobs, call centers, food service, department stores, Eddie worked at the local independent cinema. Paint-stained jeans, thrift store sweaters and a parka, listening to the talking heads. Everything about him was just effortlessly and genuinely cool. He wasn't just playing the part either. There was this hyperactive aura, this electricity in the way he carried himself that showed this was not a person who could just sit there and consume. He started a club which aimed to assemble all the creative people on campus that were not producing at the moment. Writers, musicians, painters, photographers, everybody. The agenda on the first meeting, what can we do together? How can we get all of you to showcase your work? I remember a day where I was on the grass trying to learn something on the guitar. I gave up and Eddie asked if he could mess around with it for a bit. Oh, I didn't know you played, I told him. Well, not really, but I can still do some stuff. He began playing and there it was. Strange chords, hyperactive, unusually structured, and it worked. It was unmistakably Eddie. When my friends and I started a band, Eddie was there from the beginning. He created the flyers for every show. He talked us into buying cheap t-shirts from thrift stores and screen printed our band shirts. When we recorded our demo, he handmade custom envelopes and cut up one of his photo books so that every cover was unique. There wasn't anything special about our band either, far from it. That's just Eddie. If he smells creativity, he's there to push it. So here he is, musician, painter, promoter, creator, artist, the silkscreen poster child of DIY, my friend, Eddie. This is Rich Chocolatey Goodness. What's up? <laughs> What's going on, man? You got some crazy feedback loop. Is this art? Oh, there. That's good. What's going on there? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. You got it? <laughs> what the hell's going on, man? Is that, that, are you controlling that? Ah, fuck. <laughs> what the fuck was that? Okay, is it over? All right, hey. What was that? I don't know. I thought you were messing around on purpose making art and shit. No, I thought that, that was you. I thought that was like your intro. <laughs> no, man. It was some weird like uh, feedback loop. That, was that feedback from my end going back into your thing? I have no idea, but that had never happened before. Really? Well, that was pretty cool, though, because that was uh, some some good feedback. That was artful that was some cool shit all right you know how to do the countdown the rich chocolatey goodness 
Yeah. Rich chocolatey goodness. 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 All right. What's up, dude? Hey, man. How's it been? How you been doing? Good. As just as just such a strange way to start. Oh, with <laughs> that fucking thing. Yeah, that was cool feedback. though. I like that. That's like a nice way to start. Thanks for taking the time to do all of this. I'm sorry I get made you get, go out of the house. It's all good. I thought I was going to be able to do it at my house, but my wife was like, I have to make bread and and all this shit with the kids. So I was like, I'm just going to go to school. Well, I'm taking it. My wife's, uh, she's visiting her parents, so. Did you fucking marry? Uh, yeah, that's, that's right. You don't know, I don't know any anything about your life. I said that you live in Paris. I got married uh, two years ago, a little bit more than two years ago. Oh, cool, man. Congrats. Thanks. Congrats to you. You have a, you have a kid? Mm-hmm. My wife's pregnant with the, another kid. She's, are we going to have a second kid in October? Congratulations. Thanks, man. This is, this is, a, this is a fucking, that's a big gap we need to fill. Yeah, that's when a big gap. was the gap. last time we talked? I actually remember, I feel like I, the last time that I can remember being in the same room as you, it was at Miguel's apartment when he lived in North Park on Hamilton Street, or I think it's called like Hamilton. And then I saw you there. Uh, Marco was there and Cynthia was there and then uh, obviously Miguel was there and that's all I think that's the last time I remember seeing you maybe I talked to you on the phone or through Facebook once or after that but it's been possibly six seven eight years since the last time I saw you the the time I remember was when you gave us uh, you made our CDs and you had some uh, flyers that was before then. I remember that seeing you because like we were talking about the office and I was making like a commentary about the office being like stupid. And then uh, you made some kind of joke that it was stupid that I thought the office was stupid because it's a, it's a sitcom. And I, I remember that it stuck in my my mind that experience because I was like, no, I can have an opinion about the office being stupid. It's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That sounds like a jerk thing to do. No, no, you were just, we're just having fun talking shit. But like, uh, I remember it stuck in my mind because I was like saying, so I was complaining about how unrealistic the, the office had become. And then you made a comment about like, dude, it's a fucking sitcom. And then uh, of course you're right. But it stuck in my memory because of that, like uh, that comment. That was the last time I, I saw you, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, I've kind of like done a little bit of stalking over the years. Just kind of checked out what you were doing, but we never kept in touch. Yeah, well, that's what Facebook is for. You can just stalk people, light stalking. Yeah, and then you think. Well, I mean, that, that's why I'm. That's why I'm doing this, you know. Because then you think you're you you're up to date, but then you just like what the fuck. I haven't spoken to this guy in years. I like this guy. <laughs> why aren't we talking? Yeah, I, the best way to get me to do anything is to rope me into a creative project. So this is the most appropriate way to start speaking to me again. Cool. Usually I like to just see what's going on with personal life, but like I was looking at the stuff you've been doing, it ties in. I think we got a lot of stuff to talk about. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff. I was looking at your website. The reason I got back in touch with you is because I, I started getting a bunch of news about you on Facebook because you graduated, you know, and uh, so congratulations. Thank you, man. So I'm, I'm going to go straight to the nitty gritty, man. What's memory, babe? Memory, babe? That's a, a project that I started in my first year of grad school. I was getting my MFA at UCSD. In my first year, for my first year review, I started working on a project that was based on my relationship with my my father. So I kind of collaborated with my father uh, in a way. Um, and I, I roped him into this project that I had been thinking about for a long time, which was to like kind of like document his life and his 
his life stories through the, the, the framing of, of memory because my dad always bragged about his capacity for memory, like his re- remembrance of his life and his time, like his times has always been the thing that he's bragged about since, you know, kind of coming back into my life. So I did that for my first year review and I thought it was a very rich project because it was like a studies project, a serialized project that I did with him that was like took the form of videos and books and prints, but they were all kind of like little bits of like fragments of information. And I took that into my second year of my graduate school. My my program was three years. So in my third year, by, by the end of my second year, I had come up with this idea of doing a wrestling project that would be roped into this memory bay project, but also would be somewhat a commentary on like contemporary issues and things that are happening right now, because that's kind of been a big part of like doing this project with my dad. It's like in the background is all this political turmoil. And uh, so I, I came up with this wrestling idea and that became my thesis. So Memory Babe has been a project that I've worked on that's about my relationship with my father and about memory, and about trying to like grasp things that are in the past and like using memory, which is, I feel is a very, and most people feel like most research suggests that like memory is a very poor tool for constructing the past or an image of the past. So I've kind of like played with that idea. Um, and then I made it into a big wrestling performance. That was my thesis. And like pro wrestling, not like cool, whatever wrestling that people think is legit. Like I've, it was like American pro wrestling or lucha, lucha. So that turned into my, my thesis and I, it nearly drove me insane. I worked on it for like nine, 10 months and, but it was all roped in, into this overarching project. That's about my relationship with my father. I might be wrong, but I don't see why I would build this memory. But like you said, the memory is not reliable. No. <laughs> but I have this image of you giving me a ride one time. I don't know why. And you dropping me off somewhere off uh, close to City College in San Diego. I think I had to take the metro. It's a really short memory. And I just remember being in the car with you, saying bye. I think I was going to go meet Marco or something. And somewhere in that memory, I have the feeling that you told me like, yeah, I don't like my dad. Or like, yeah, I, have a, I don't have a good relationship with my dad. Something like that. Yeah, in that time period, like, my relationship with my father was very, like, troublesome. It, it wasn't at all, like, productive or, you know, nice. Well, that's too much to say. I think he, he's not a bad guy, but it was, like, a little bit too much to, to try to deal with him. And then, so you probably caught me at a moment where I was just like, fuck that guy. So my, my dad, he was, he's, he's not a bad guy, but he had a drug problem for a long, long time. And so then I, I, in my mid-20s and going into my late 20s, he was sobering up and he was annoying <laughs> um, and so a lot of my time with him was spent being annoyed by him and then him probably annoyed with me that I wasn't the son that he thought I should turn out to be. And, and there was a lot of clashing. So I'm, I'm sure that that memory is like legit. I don't remember at all, like giving you a ride because I didn't have a car, um, before moving to Boston. Like I had, I, I had a car when I was 19 and then I didn't have a car until I was like, until I moved back to do graduate school. So It seems like a real memory, but it kind of seems, seems like a false memory. Yeah, I know. has to do with what you were saying. I was reading this stuff on memory, babe. I, there's only that stuff that you have online. You know I'm from Tijuana, so there's this weird connection. Uh, it, it just struck me. Like, I'm really interested. I wish I could read more. You only have a couple pages there. Yeah, yeah. I, I need to... Uh, I don't know anyone that would be interested in, like, reading this stuff, or I never thought anyone would be 
interested into diving into like the text. I just kind of been doing it for myself and for the project. But when I had the, the my thesis exhibition, I was surprised that a lot of people kind of sat down and read through the books, which was kind of a nerve wracking for me because that, it was like really revealing of my my history with my dad and my my childhood. Yes. That's exactly what I, what I was going to ask. One thing is like for you to decide to do something like that, but you're asking your parents also to kind of open up that story and put it out there. Yeah. And build build something out of it. And I'm telling you because I also do not have a good relationship with my dad. We haven't spoken in years. Yeah. And uh and my mom's going to be here. She's coming to visit in two weeks. And I've been playing with the idea of setting up recording sessions because like we found a reasonable distance where we can get along. But it's a I pretty much jumped ship for my sanity. Yeah. And I've been toying with that idea. But I, I I I just don't know if I'm willing to make myself that vulnerable, you know? Like can I go ahead and ask those questions? Do I wanna know all that shit? Because I've been working hard to to just have a healthy life away from it. Well, I don't know. I can tell you from experience that I also, moving to Boston, it, it was something I did for someone I love. Uh, my wife moved there, wanted to move there for graduate school. And then I went eventually, I, I went to, did my undergrad there at a school, uh, art school there. Um, but going there was very rewarding in that, like, I got space from my family and I got to breathe from all that stuff. And I got to get away from my, my father, who was like, you know, by that point, I was just kind of like, he was he tired me out and we were having like a lot of stupid little bits of drama. So it was when I came back and did this project, it was, it was kind of scary. Like I didn't want to do it because it, it, it was asking to make myself very vulnerable. And I was, it was not only I was making myself vulnerable to the things that I happened in my past and my childhood, but I was asking other people to do it, which is very dangerous. Like you to ask someone to like reveal stuff that was not pleasant. Like no one wants to do that. They just want to stay. People just want to be happy. They just want to like be in the present as much as they can and be happy in the present. Um, so when I asked my mom and I asked people to, I started doing this project, I was very weary what it would, if it would amount to anything, it, was just, it would just be embarrassing or it would just be too taxing for myself or for everybody. But in the end, it was very rewarding. And and I, my, if I was to give you any advice, I would say what you could do is try to come up with a project where you don't have to be so vulnerable, where you can hide behind something. And that's what the wrestling project eventually was because it was too much to have to just lay everything down in, in words and um, and make little books and like have to say, say stuff straightforward. So I came up with an elaborate wrestling show that kind of like made it so I was able to talk in allegorical kind of ways and kind of metaphorical kind of ways. And I was able to hide behind something that people would view as just being entertainment because that people don't respect res pro wrestling. It's a, it's a medium that everyone kind of like loves to hate and or loves to fanatically. Um, and so that I used wrestling as a way to kind of like deal with the issues and talk about things or like kind of like document that in a study for this project. And it, and it has been a rewarding project. So I, I would I would say if you want to do it, you should jump into it. Yeah, to me, the, the, the microphone is the mask. Yeah, it's the same idea. Like if I start recording, it becomes easier than just asking her. You know, if I just sit down in the couch and ask, it's one thing. If I turn the microphone on, it becomes a project. And that gives me a little bit of an extra layer of protection, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, it helps. Making art is kind of weird. Like, it's, it's, it's awesome, but you're also putting yourself on a limb. Like, you're always kind of, like, putting yourself out there and for people to tear down. And especially with a project like this, when doing anything kind of creative where you're really revealing a lot, like, about yourself, it's hard when people shit on it. And whatever which way you can do it, it, it it's helpful. 
I don't know, memory, like, I, I had the idea, of, like, a long time ago, when I when I first, so my dad, like, disappeared from my life for a chunk, like, he, he left when I was 10, and he came back when I was, like, 19, so he went on a fucking party bender, he just got fucked up for almost a decade. Shit, um, it's a long weekend. Yeah, long-ass weekend, right, he came out all ragged <laughs> and fucked up looking, and then, um, so then he came back out of that, and he kind of came back into my life, but he was still on drugs, and he was still a lot of trouble, and he was still... He, he he's I wouldn't say that he's confused about life because I think that's disrespectful to his beliefs and the way he lives his life. But I, he was very much like the way he lived his life and on drugs, but then also like his belief systems and all that stuff like really was jarring when I, he came back into my life and we clashed a bunch because it was a lot of ridiculousness in my view. He was like a lot of like, like he was a, really a big about having to reclaim his family and like right all the wrongs but in like a very macho machismo kind of stupid way so i had to shoot him down a bunch um so even from in that point when he was he came back into my life and he was being a turd about things i came up with this idea of memory bay because i was reading a, a biography on jack kerouac I, I really admired jack kerouac when i was like 18 19 20 when i was very formative years of my creative life when i was like starting to think of myself as an artist when i met you and marco and miguel and i came up with the arcarado club and all that stuff i was reading a biography on jack kerouac and so it was really important because jack kerouac was also a troubled individual and he kind of a lot of the things that i've dealt with in my life i've been kind of like kind of grappling with this like dad issue kind of like this absent figure and and jack kerouac there's a biography i read called memory babe that's where i got the title from as a, a biography that was, and it's a really great biography of his on him. And then, so I had that title. I got it from him because my dad, first thing he fucking, he comes into my life and he's like, he's being sketchy because my dad's sketchy. And he's just like, I don't I need your social security so I can like, so I can like get, I haven't done my taxes in like 10 years and I might get a bunch of money back. He had a friend that was a fucking like tax person that was t- telling him this shit. So he wanted me to get, give him my social security and give him my, my siblings all, all our social security. Um, so he was sketchy from the start and I was just like, no, you can't have that shit. And then so, but from, from like the, the first time he came back into my life, he was just like, um, give me a ride somewhere. He took me to Spring Valley or some shit. And he told me that he has this, like, and he's always brags about his memory. He's like, his, his huge thing is that he, he can remember every phone number he's ever had, every street, every street he's ever lived on, every fucking address he's ever had. That's like his, his pitch. And he's given me this pitch, like, back when I was 19 and we first started talking. Is it true? He, he he does, but it's like, he has a memory for superficial things. Like he he can remember like phone numbers and like, and this and that, but he has a very poor memory or he has like just a very human memory when it comes to most other things. It's like every, memory is subjective. Like we remember what we want to remember and we remember fragments and we, we fill in parts that we don't remember with things that we, we kind of do. We come up with stories, you know? Our like memory is like fictional to a certain degree. So he exhibits that. Like he he comes up with stories where he says stories that are altered. Like I hear the stories from other people and they've they put him in a better light, you know, like anyone does. They kinda like fashion themselves in a better kind of position so they look better. And so he does have a good memory, but like it's for superficial things. And that's what this project kind of was born out of, is that like yeah, I believe that he has a good memory for for these things. But I, like, I want to know about the other stuff because I want to like see what it is in contrast to other people's memories and how they remember it, and kind of make a document based out of, you know, this flawed way of looking at stuff. Because my dad's flawed, and I, the reason why I wanted to do a piece on him and why I, I took on this project in the first place because I think there's a there's a lot of people out there that have like flawed 
they're flawed, but they're flawed because they have shitty fathers or they had like some like kind of like missing part of their life was that person in their life. So I thought it was going to be something that people could relate to. So I took it on because I just felt like it spoke not just to me because it was my personal story, but I thought it would be something that would make a good art piece. And I think that he he does, is a good example of a flawed, flawed common man. So it was worth it, but it was a pain in the ass for most of all the project. <laughs> He's not a good collaborator. Did the relationship get better afterwards? You know, the best part about this, the, the whole story is that I told a bunch of people, like everyone here, all my people on my committee, all the graduate school people that I had to talk to about the project, like this was going to be, become my thesis uh, or become my first year um, show, exhibition. Uh, I told all of them that I, what I was going to do before I even like told my dad that this was going to happen, right? So like I was like making plans, but his time before he even had any any clue and so the way when i told him about doing this project he um i pitched it in a way that i thought he would understand and then and it did it tricked him i kind of pitched it in that you know how like people like for the longest time like hollywood never really cared about mexican americans other than talking about how like they grew up in ghettos and and like their reformed cholos and shit like that i told my dad i was like i i want to do like a documentary-ish kind of like a project on you and then he immediately responded with like, oh, like, like he could tell young cholos not to be dumb cholos that get old and, and, and then ruin their lives. So then he was just like, that's the way he conceptualized that he was going to make a documentary where he can like kind of speak to some truth to at risk youth that are like fucking repeating his life. But now and I was like, cool, whatever, as long as you're like down to tell me your shit. And he agreed to it. And it, it was a pain in the ass. Yeah, because immediately he's he's super sketchy. My dad's like really, he's not good at following through with things. That's what made him such a bad dad. Well, he was a drug addict. That's what made him a really really bad dad. But one of the things that like is a big flaw of his is that he he can never go through with things that he wants to do. He like makes big plans and says he's gonna do something and then he just bails on them because he doesn't care to go all the way through with them. Or he's like, oh, why don't we meet and go to the taco shop and we'll hang out and have some quality time and he won't show up. Which, you know, when you're young, it like hurts your goddamn feelings. Yeah, I remember that. I remember waiting, waiting like by the window on the weekend for the fucking car to show up and then like it starts getting dark yeah and I, was like, I don't think he's gonna make it this time it's uh, super sad it's like that was my childhood too like we're gonna go to the circus we're gonna go to the park we're gonna go all this and he would never show up um and i live with the motherfucker like i lived with him until i was eight and he he always did this shit and he did that when he came back into my life and he was still on drugs and when he sobered up and he all the way up until the moment where i asked him to be in memory babe and even when he we started doing memory babe He's sketchy. He doesn't follow through with things. And I would ask him like, hey, we're going to do this thing. And then he'll be like, wouldn't show up. And then finally, I was just like, hey, this is my art. Like we were doing this for a project. You have to show up. And so then I removed a thing from his life that kind of like was fucking up our relationship, which is I started to pursue him for this project. I Like I was like, we're going to go to the park. Or we're going to go to your neighborhood that you grew up in. We're going to go to Tijuana. We're going to go to LA. We're going to do these things. And I would follow through. And that being removed from his responsibility has made it so our fucking relationship has super blossomed. It's like ridiculous. It's actually kind of funny because now I feel like I have the best relationship I've ever had with him because of this project. It was like pursuing him and asking him about himself made him feel human. I think it made it validated him, which my dad's had a hard life. And there's been a lot of like canceling out his humanity by a, a lot of forces. Um, so I 
doing that and then removing the responsibility of him having to spend time with me made it so we're fucking tight as fuck, man. He just gave me 200 bucks. He came over to my house, gave me 200 bucks. Because <laughs> I was str- like struggling to after vet school. So it's kind of funny that things are kind of working out and we've bonded on a, a level that I don't think we ever would have if I didn't do this project. That sounds like the best result you could ever expect out of a piece of art. Yeah. Because I'm making the joke when people will be like, like probing and critiquing my project and then be like, like, what if this thing goes bust? Because, you know, there was there's a lot of risk of like doing a project like this. I would like it walks the line of sentimentality. And I didn't want to make a piece that was mm-hmm. all about sentimentality. I wanted to figure out a way to do it, um, do it right. And so when teachers would ask me or professors would ask me, like, are you afraid of this thing blowing up in your face? I'm like, yeah, every time, every day I work on it, I, I feel like it's going to blow up in my face. Yeah, but even if it does blow up in my face, the best part about it is that I <laughs> I have like a really good relationship with my father right now. And did you, like, it's kind of like a silly question and not trying to evade responsibility, but did you find out, like, what, what the deal was with him and his father? Yeah, well, I've known that for a while because, like, he, he when he was born, my grandmother, I, who I never met and he never met because she gave, she died giving birth to him. Oh, shit. Yeah, so he, he never knew his mom. She, 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 died, she, he, she died for him. And then his father drank himself to death when he was six. So he he barely had parents that he can remember. He didn't mar- never ever had his mom, and he barely remembers his father. So part of that was capturing like the little bits of information that he does remember from ha- knowing his father and TJ. But p- pretty much he was raised by his siblings, and he just the the time period that he grew up in and like the the circumstances in which he grew up in, having that experience, having lost his parents young, and having like a lot of freedom because he's being raised by his siblings who were like fucking 16, 17, 18 years old. And he was like a baby, you know, or a kid. And then the, growing up in TJ poor and then moving to fucking East LA in like the seventies, like, which was like the heyday of like low riders and cholo culture. And like, where there was like transition from like zoot suits to fucking straight cholos that we recognize now. Um, he lived through all that. And then unfortunately he lived through all the bad stuff too. He was like, PCP and the rise of crack and then the rise of meth like he got he rode that gnarly wave that fucked up American cities and America in the 70s and 80s he rode all that shit and then in in the midst of all that he fucking had a family me he had me first in 1983 and then he fucking there was there's four of us so he had you know four fucking kids and and that all that time he was like I think my dad and then through the project he yeah, um, revealed to me by the time I was born, he was already full blown addicted to to meth. Like he was already out of control, and and he knew it, but he was just kind of like thought that it would just work out, and thought that his life would just come together. But by the time I was uh, by the time I was like a, a toddler, he was like fucked. Um, so there's there's a lot of stuff there, and and the project I feel like I can keep on doing for a long time. So I feel like I can like keep on digging, and I don't want it to be something where I'm like trying to like do like a psychological case study for him. I, I'm more interested in like trying to capture his life and his times um, through his his professed like great memory and all its flaws. Because you have that again. I only had limited information, but the the anchor then you, that you use as a like an event that can be documented is the burning of Cartolandia which to people outside of Tijuana means nothing, but that's, that's a, it's a big deal. I was surprised to see that in there. Did you look for like archival stuff on, on Cartolandia or did you just get the story he told you? Or, or you could explain what Cartolandia is first because uh, nobody will know. Oh, explain that? Yeah. Okay. 
So when my kid, to one story that my dad's always, I was always fascinating me that he's t- told me since like coming back into my life is this like the burning of uh, Carpolandia, which was like a shanty town down by the river, like the Tijuana River that goes into like the estuary going into America. And so one of the memories that I wanted to capture, one of the things that really was really important for me to capture right away for this project was um, my dad's remembrance of, of this shanty town burning down, like burning it, like it lit on fire and the whole thing came down. And so the memory is, it was one of the only memories that he has of his father where he went with his sister and they went up to a hill to watch it burn down. And he, he sat on my dad's, his grandfather, my grandfather, his dad's shoulders uh, and then watched this part of this little shantytown, Carpolandia, uh, burn, burn down. And um, I wanted to do research on it so I can kind of like really get like, I want to do research on it so I can like have like another complex, like another part of the checking my father's memories to like actual historical fact, like archival information, stuff like that. But I, I got too caught up in, in graduate school and doing all the studying and doing all that stuff. So I never got to go dive deeper. Um, that's why I, I want to continue doing working on memory, babe, because I don't feel so much, so much pressure to make it like the precious project that it needed to be. Now I could just like keep on adding to it and move on to other things. Cool. I also saw that you interviewed your mom. What was that like? Because this was centered around your dad, right? Yeah. And then you're going to your mom and asking her information about that. Did you think she felt a little bit, uh, I don't know, uncomfortable getting back to that stuff or having to talk about that? Yeah, well, like my mom... I think she she was she's always been like yeah I'm down like you know whatever she wanted to do she's as she says as long as my my father was fine with uh, her talking frankly openly and honestly about this the stuff um, that she would be fine like talking about it and the way I kind of structured that book too is that, like I I wanted to make it so it was like um, redacted so like the book is like the same interview redacted in different kind of ways whereas like. I actually forgot how I redacted it, but the point is, is like I wanted to to make the book to be like kind of like self censorship because everything I did with my dad was just straightforward and honest. Like I didn't take anything out. Whatever he said, I kind of just put it in there. Um, but with my mom, I, I made it so like she, whatever she shared, like I kind of like had the first version where it was just kind of like took all like the nervous ummings and all that stuff out. It was just like kind of straight to the point and it had like a, a last redacted version and in the end was like just like the unredacted, just all everything that she, she, she lays out. And I think it was great because I, I wanted to like check his memory, his remembrance of his times to the other person that had to bear witness to his whatever storm, his wildness. And so I wanted to see what her experience was and what her remembrance was and like check it against his remembrance. Um, and this, it was very fascinating. And it was very, there's some like, genuine tender moments from my mother um, rather than my father because I think my father would play up he would like kind of perform himself a little bit and it would be less honest because he I knew he would want to he, he had an idea of what he was going to do uh, so I wanted to interview my mom because she would have no investment in it. it would just be honest and she'd be like yeah this guy was a fucking mess but then it also would be tender because she would have to reflect on living through it so she had to like share a lot of stuff that she was just like it broke her heart to have to like be chained to this man that was out of control and that, that how our lives were affected by it. So like that was a very intimate thing. So it was like, it's hard to put that one out there, but it was, it was very rewarding. Yeah, I can imagine. I saw it and it just, it hit me directly. I'd really like to be able to see all of it. Like I didn't have the issues with drugs uh, with my dad. It was just mostly like just him not following up on stuff. Just not available. Not, not available is not the right word. Uh, just 
I don't know. Like, I don't know what his excuse is. At least if there was drugs, there's a reason for it. But he's just... <laughs> yeah, I know. It makes it easier with drugs, huh? Like, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get what it is. But, like, I tried. We had, like, a peace treaty uh, when I was, like, a... When I thought I was an adult. And I was, like, 20 or something. And, like, I was a man. We could kind of be friends, if not father and son. And uh, that lasted... That uh, lasted a year, maybe. So I got, like... Just got tired. It's like I don't like this guy. (laughs) Yeah, the way he does things. Sometimes it's hard, man. Sometimes you just like you realize you don't like them very much. Yeah, but see, the thing is, like, I have this. Like, I, I really, I think a lot about my future kids, which don't even exist. I have no idea if that's gonna happen. I mean, we talk about it. We want to have kids, but I've had this. Like, the reason for the peace treaty with my dad, in fact, was that I was going to Mexico City, and I knew that both my mom and my dad had lived in Mexico City at one point. So I wanted to ask them for the address of the place where they lived because I don't know how, just out of the blue, I got this idea. I need to go to the places where they lived so I could take pictures of it because I want my children to see photos of where their grandparents lived when they were kids. That's what got me started with photography. And I don't know why it was just like, I need, it needs to be a, a film camera. Like, that thing just kind of came up by itself. Then I started, I kept going with the photo stuff. So that's when I went to talk to him, and I got the address, and uh, and I came back, and I showed him the pictures. Turns out that they, like, uh, they played in the same park, man. My mom came from Chile, very far away. <laughs> and they, they played on the same park at the same time. There's a, there's a couple, like, five years difference, which is a lot. But she re- he remembers seeing, like, a, a kid with a funny accent and a little girl following him. So that would have been my mom's older brother. They lived, like, on, around the corner from each other. And then they met in a different city. And it would be a beautiful romantic story if they didn't hate each other the way they do. Like, they still hate each other. They've been divorced since I was four, so, like, 30 years. And they still can't talk. Yeah. Like, they can't talk about the other, not even with, but about the other person it's just, just fucking start fuming and like, oh, 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 just always oh, trying to control my life and and like I, I wonder what what fucking passion must have been in there because I remember there was this one time when I was a kid I used to love going through shit like just going through all the papers and I just wanted to find all the secrets in the house and I found this old birthday card that my mom had written to my dad and it was just full of love happy birthday. And like she used her, I guess what was her nickname? My mom's really skinny, and it said like "te quiere tu lombriz," like you're like a worm. <laughs> it sounds bad, like that. Yeah. It's, it's, like, it's like a cute thing, <laughs> unless he was like abusive and called her a worm. But it sounds like a cute thing in Spanish because she was really yeah. skinny, and that was just so disconcerting as a kid to see this thing where there was a moment where they loved each other, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, but I just became obsessed with that idea of I need to leave this stuff for my future kids, like what I'm doing here with the podcast. That's why I tell you, I saw that memory babe thing and I was like, like, man, I don't want to spend the whole time talking about that, but I really connected with it. I I feel like if all of this fails, like the stuff with the podcast, it doesn't matter because what I'm keeping in mind is that I'm leaving like a, a picture of who I was for my children stuff yeah. that that they would never hear directly from me and instead they get to see like a silhouette drawn by my friends from different times like some people that i met in grad school some people that i met when i was a kid people we met in college and and from different perspectives because like you were saying if it's just me telling the story i'm always going to be the hero i'm always going to be the funny guy yeah but then 
yeah, it's different to hear different people with very different personalities having met me at different times in my life. And I'm thinking of this as a record to leave for them. Because I, I have a tape from my grandfather on my mother's side that I asked him to record for me. So I wonder like how, how long I've been thinking about this without really thinking about it. But when I was 10, I asked him to record a tape telling me about his life. And I have that. This dude is dead now, who was born in 1906, telling me about how he was born in Germany, lived in Paris, traveled to Chile, from Chile, went with his family to Mexico. So I have like this, I'm amassing this archive for my children, which I don't even know if I'm going to have. But I'm, I feel like I'm digging in there mostly because I'm afraid of being a bad father. Yeah, it's kind of like the, I don't know, the trade-off that you get for having a bad father. You kind of feel like you're going to be a bad father. But you know, actually, what works is awesome is that I think that having a bad dad gives you a, there's an urgency of being a good father or being there. Like, it seems like your dad was absent, right? Like, he was physically and emotionally absent, right? Like, he wasn't on drugs, but he was, like, not there. Yeah, I mean, I can't blame it entirely on him. They divorced at four, and it was, I think it was better because, like I said, they still can't see each other. So it's better than, than constant fights. But yeah. still, yeah, there could have been ways around it. For sure. Like, he could have had a relationship with you that had anything to do with your mother, but he couldn't. He wasn't mature enough, which is fine. Like, the same thing with my father. is like, he could, he wasn't able to have a relationship with me until right now. And that's, that's cool because I'm mature enough to be able to have it, which is great. And the best thing about this, I, mean, I, I like that you brought up that you, you're, you're doing this for your prosperity, for your kids. And, and even though you're not, you're not, you don't even know what you're going to, they don't exist now. And you're just kind of thinking about them existing in the future. Well, I, when I started this project, the special part about it is that I became a father for the first time. That's when I had my first kid, Lucian. And it was very special to be able to like take on this project that was very much about tackling the defunct past that kind of like isn't part of, part of you. And like kind of like, I didn't want to like, you know, shake it off like it didn't exist. I wanted to make sense of it. And it was nice to make sense of it and something happening in real time and that being becoming a father for the first time. So I, I, I really relate to your your need to make something for your kids because I feel like memory babe was for me, but it was also for, for my kids in a way. But also I felt like if I made a good enough project that it would be for, for people who kind of like just want to reflect on having a father, just a father in general, because it's such a fucking, it's such a common occurrence that dudes suck at being fathers. Like I just met so many people who have shitty fathers. So I'm, I'm happy to be able to like get, make sense of my shitty father and at the same time yeah i guess you have like a bigger list of things not to do that other people might not know about <laughs> yeah or you just kind of like there's an urgency of wanting to connect with your kid because you wanted that connection that connection i still had that connection all through my adult life i want to bond with a father a father figure so it's nice to have a kid that you can actually do that with because you can actually right the wrongs of having that misfortune when you're a kid. Yeah. Do they have a relationship or you think about that or you don't care? Uh, who's that? Like your father and your... Kid? Yeah. Well, he's like, he, he, he's not present enough to actually have a relationship where it's like kind of like leaves uh, an impact. Like maybe as he gets older and he's still around, like he'll probably be like, yeah, just dude's your grandpa. You know, he does, he's, he's, he's much more attached to his Nadia's father because he, he sees them all the time. And I think my my dad wants to be there and be a grandfather, but I, I don't think I don't think my father has a capacity to be a father, and so I don't think he has a capacity to be a grandfather. Really, 
He's kind of like a lone, like a lone wolf or something like that. He's just like a wild TJ dog. <laughs> oh man, that's so that's so funny that you say that. But that I I think about myself that way a lot of times. Uh, there's this old joke. It's it's kind of a dad joke. Uh, when I left grad school in the U.S., uh, I was enrolled for a PhD, but I left as soon as I finished the master's because I didn't want to stay. And I, just the best way that I could figure out to explain to my professors why I was leaving is this old joke about a TJ street dog that goes to the border. And then there's this dog from the other side of the fence that comes over every day. And like the TJ dogs are all skinny and dirty. And then the other dog has like this beautiful golden hair. It's nice and plump. And he always comes to hang out in TJ. And he's like, hey, man, like, uh, that's a pretty nice collar you got there. Like, oh, yeah, my master got it. It's like the latest thing. And does all this thing. Like, he's just bragging all the time. And he comes back another day. He's like, hey, man, like, you got your nails all nice nice and clipped. He's like, yeah, my master likes to keep him clean. Eh? And uh, I'm butchering the joke. But anyway, they ask him, like, if everything is so good over there, why do you keep coming over here? And he's like, oh, because over here I'm allowed to bark. And uh, yeah. I don't know. I always felt there's something special over there. But yeah. but also with the dog analogy, I was actually having a conversation with a friend just two days ago. When I get very sad about these things with like the weird family life, having been able to kind of move up, if not financially, at least to a more healthy environment, you know, I get the feeling that I'm just like a dog that learned how to read. I can't stop being a dog. Like I got lucky enough that I had this interest in school and that opened up different circles and opened up different ideas, different ways of looking at things. I wouldn't be in Paris married to my wife right now if it wasn't for that. But th there's still that street dog in there, you know? Yeah, my dad, like you're the street dog that goes up to the fence and talks to other dogs from like other <laughs> places. My dad's just a street dog. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> my dad's like the street dog that almost gets hit by a car at least once a day. Yeah, I'm yeah, I'm the one that goes over there to bark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That yeah, that's a great metaphor and that's cool that it connects to your feeling of like being like a TJ street dog. But in that regard, my dad, I don't think he he has the capacity to be a dad or a grandfather. I think he's just he he is who he is and I feel lucky that I got to the place where I can just hang out with a TJ street dog and be fine with it. Yeah, that's nice, man. I mean, you're not going to change. You, yeah, you guys could be adults together or not adults, but whatever. Like you, you found whatever it is that works. Yeah. I still think I, I eventually have to call my dad because it's not like we have any huge problem. It's just that it's annoying. And I mean, there's yeah. some stuff that pisses me off. Like he doesn't take care of my brother and he should really be helping out. So, yeah. But those things, uh, that's the kind of stuff that you get hung up on. And then so that kind of prevents you from like bridging that gap. And then as long as there's like that, that space that you're never, you're never going to want to cross over. Yeah. Like you found out how to do that, that you were the one that had to like guide things and then it worked. But I get, I have this, uh, like this pride that's saying like, no, like, why do I have to do all that shit? Fuck it. I'll just stay here. If he figures it out, he could try. Dude, pride is such a fucking like killer thing. Like it kills so much stuff to have too much pride over yourself and the way you conduct yourself with other people yeah yeah no, but i feel fortunate that i was like able to get over this hump with my father but even like before when i went to boston my dad was being a fucking pain in the ass like dude like i got into a huge fight with him like um right before i left where he didn't even want to talk to me when i was getting married like he he didn't he ghosted me he like fucking just like stopped talking to me and just fucking 
I, I feel like not. It's like worth telling that story just to, just to. I don't know. Maybe it would be funny or helpful for you. But the last summer of when before I left to Boston, because my, my wife got into Boston University and we were gonna move across the country. I'm born and raised and lived in San Diego, and then uh, my dad. Uh, he, there was like a family reunion of people that I don't know because he was a drug addict for a long time, and I so I didn't. Ha- I don't have a good grasp on his side of the family because I just. Didn't uh, he was gone for so long? I don't know these people. So there's a be there's gonna be a Miramontes family reunion in LA because most of the people live in LA. And then uh, he, this dude, he was like, "You want to go?" And I was like, "Of course I want to go." It's where we read. And then so my dad was like a little kid for like months. He would just every time I would see him, he would be like three months and two days until we fucking go to this family reunion. He was so stoked, so 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 excited. And every time I would see him, he'd be like, "It's gonna be in two months and like fucking a week." Every time I saw him, he was just like, talk about it. And then I got excited. You know, it's all these people that I don't know and their family. And I get to go to LA and LA's fun. So one day I, I call him and it's like, like maybe like a, a week, two weeks out. And he was just like, I'm not going to go to the family reunion. And I was like, why? Why, why aren't you going to go? You, that's all you've been talking about for, for months. And he's like, because my cousin Victor is going to go. My cousin Victor fucked my girlfriend like, <laughs> back in the day. And I was like, all right, well, like like you're not gonna go it's like that's awkward if i go and like you know you're not there and i'm like your son and no one knows who the fuck i am and he goes not only that like it's like my your tío poncho and fucking aurelio none of them are gonna go now because i'm not gonna go so they're all protesting victor (laughs) because he fucked my dad's girlfriend a long time ago so now i was like what the fuck dude no whatever i can expect this kind of behavior from you because you're a dick so I was like, whatever. And then so I took that, that day off from work. And then so someone asked me to, to take that shift that the day was supposed to be the reunion. So I was like, whatever, I'll, 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 I'll take that shift because I'm not going to go to this family reunion because my dad's a dick. And then my dad calls me like a day before the, uh, like the reunion. He's like, hey, you know what? I changed my mind. I'm going to go. And I was like, all right, that's great for you. That sucks for me. I'm like, I'm not going to like call and work and be like, you got to find someone else to go and to work. And I was also kind of irked by his like, self-centeredness like he didn't care about he, he could just couldn't wrap his mind around like how i would feel him dipping on on the fucking thing and and because of victor and all that shit so he went to the fan reunion i didn't go i i still haven't i don't know any of those motherfuckers i don't know i still don't haven't gone to a fan <laughs> reunion and i they i still get facebook notices that they're meeting every goddamn year and i still haven't gone <laughs> um so my dad goes to the reunion and that's in like june and then i, I get married to my longtime girlfriend in July, uh, July 19th of 2012. So maybe like the family reunion happened like in May. My dad goes to the family reunion. He he just stops talking to me. And I'm busy trying to deal with like getting ready to move across the country, getting married and all that stuff is super stressful. My dad just stops talking to me. And I was, I was still bothered by his behavior. So I just let it go. And I was like, I kind of didn't want to talk to him because I didn't want to have to tell him that he's not invited to my wedding because he doesn't get along. He he doesn't have a relationship with my sisters and my brother. It's non-existent. And I didn't want to have to explain to him that he can't go to my wedding because, you know, they would just make them feel awkward. And he, they're actually my family. He's just a dude that I share genetics with. So I let the time go. The time go and I was like thinking that he would contact me. Dude, my wedding comes and goes. He doesn't call me. He doesn't fucking like offer any help. He doesn't do. He just disappears. He ghosts me. And then I get really mad. I'm just like, fuck this dude. So I'm, that happened. I get married on July 19th. 
Um, and I'm gonna I'm pretty much gonna leave like a day or two after my birthday on August 19th. And I get to starting to move. I didn't go on a honeymoon. I just started to break down my apartment and get ready to move me and my wife across this fucking big ass country. Like my dad still, he knows I'm gonna move to Boston. He's not con- he's not talking to me. He's fucking I'm dead to him for whatever reason. I don't even know why he's he's not talking to me. But he's not answering his phone. He's not fucking calling me. He's not he's just fucking ghost. And finally, I get to fucking. A couple of days before I'm going to leave and I'm trying to get rid of this couch. <laughs> it's this, one of those couches that folds out and it's like a fucking bed couch. It's fucking horrendously heavy. Super, super heavy. And um, and I had at that point, I had no upper body strength. I was just like, like this skinny 29 year old still. Um, <laughs> and I couldn't lift this fucking thing. And I couldn't I couldn't figure out how to get it out of my fucking apartment and away from my my shit. So I called my dad. He answers and I'm like, hey, dude, I need your help. And he's like rude. He's like uh, what do you want? And I'm like, uh, I need to move a couch. I need you to borrow like your, my uncle's truck. I need you to help me move it. And he's just like, no. And I'm like, you can't borrow the truck. And he's just like, no, a bunch of like, uh, he won't let me. And he's just super short with me. And he just was like, nah, it's not going to happen. And I'm just like, all right. And he's just like, oh, and he hangs up on me. And I'm like, what the fuck, dude? Like what, why the fuck is he being so goddamn cold to me like i don't understand like why he's being so rude i'm like i got married like the only kid that likes him the only kid that he has a relationship with he doesn't fucking uh he doesn't call me when i'm gonna get married he's he's not calling me when i'm gonna fucking move and then i finally get through to him and he's like no i can't help you and hangs up on me crazy i know so i asked my friend greg it was like he had a truck he fucking came over he's a true homie he's better than my dad and he fucking helps me take this fucking hev- heavy, heavy fucking couch out to his fucking truck, which I am nearly broken half trying to carry out to this fucking truck. We get into the truck and he's like, where are we going to dump it? And I was like, I know exactly where to dump it. <laughs> <laughs> my dad lived in like, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> my dad lived like lived for a long time in this fucking shitty shithole of a, of a small studio apartment in the back of a fucking lot in Barrio Logan close to the neighborhood that I grew that I was living in at the time and then like he lives in an it's an alley and then there's like a door like a gated door that goes out to where his apartment his little shack is and then across the way is <laughs> my uncle's house that he rents so I was like we're gonna go to this place and we're gonna dump it right here and then I explained to my friend I was like I don't know what's wrong with my dad but he's being a dick and we're gonna drop off this couch right in front of his fucking door to get out of his his little shack like, so he's not going to be able to get out of it. He's going to have to walk out from the front of the, the lot <laughs> to go all the way around because the gate, it's not going to, he's not going to be able to open the fucking thing because this thing is super heavy. And that's what we did. We fucking got out. We dumped it right in front of it. We pushed it so like it would be impossible for him to open the fucking gate. And then we fucking took off. And my dad, before Greg's even dropping me off, we're, dro- we're driving to North Park and my dad gives me a call and he's like, what the fuck, motherfucker? <laughs> and I was like, what, what the fuck with you, dude? And he's like, you dropped off your fucking couch that you asked me to help you move. You dropped it right in front of my fucking gate. And I was like, that's right, you fucking piece of shit. I was like, I dropped it right in front of He's like, why are you being mean to me, dude? He's like, I got married and I'm fucking moving to Boston and you're fucking, you, I call you for help and you just fucking hang up on me. It's like, that's what you fucking get. You get a fucking couch. <laughs> you get a heavy couch and you can't fucking move. And he's just yelling. I mean, he's fucking like losing his mind. It's like, 
he's like really, really fucking angry. And he's angry that I'm being disrespectful. Like I'm cursing at him and I'm being like, what the fuck? Like he thought he was just going to yell at me and I was going to be like, I'm sorry, sir. I'm going to go back and move the couch. And instead I was like, fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck that couch. Fuck San Diego. Fuck your everything, man. <laughs> and then That's nice. burning the ships. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, fucking bur burn this bridge down. Fuck you. Um, I don't give a fuck about you. It's like, I, 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 apparently I guess my fucking relationship with you is over. And he fucking like, I can, so my dad has a habit, like I've gone into fights with him, like over the phone of quite a bit of times, like in my adult life. And so he, he can't argue. He's not very good at arguing. And, and he's, so what happens is that he gets overwhelmed and then he fucking hangs up. That's like his go-to thing. He fucking like hangs up on you and then he, he feels like he has the upper hand because he can't like argue for shit. So I knew that he was saying stuff and I knew he was going to, he was going to hang up. So I fucking hung up before he hung up on me and it drove him fucking insane. So like he called me back and he was just like, it was like, why the fuck did you hang up on me? And I was like, why the fuck are you being such a piece of shit? And he's just like, because you didn't come to the fucking reunion with me. And I was like, what? He's like, you, I told you to come to the reunion and you didn't come. And I was like, I didn't go to the reunion because you, because you didn't want to go because Vic, you, Victor fucked your girlfriend. <laughs> and it's like, you made it so no one was going to go. Like you've made it so none of my uncles were going to go. None of my fucking, no one was going to go because of you. And so I was just going to show up by myself to, in LA to a bunch of people who don't know me having to explain why my dad's not there. And I was like, I didn't go because you, you set it up that way. And he was like, but you still could have gone if you would have got the, the shift covered. You could have came with us. And I was like, what is happening? It's like, you're mad at me for that? <laughs> Some high school shit. Yeah, and I was like, "You're mad at me because I didn't go to a reunion with you." And he was like, "That was that's like that was fucked up. You should have gone to the reunion with me." And I was like, "What?" And he was like, "I was like, dude, fuck you." And he was like, "Was like, what the fuck?" And I hung up on him again. So he called me. I didn't answer. And he fucking like he he called me a few times and then I didn't answer. And then things just went bad. And then I fucking broke down my life in San Diego, packed up my shit, and I moved across the country to start a new life with my wife who was starting grad school and at that point i thought i was never going to come back and then i i moved there settle it's fucking horrendous it's like such a it's so taxing it's like it's i'm like moving to a new place that's across the country it's like san diego's totally different from boston i get there and i'm, I'm adjusting I, I have an apartment and i don't have a job and i'm kind of just trying to make things work and my dad calls me out of nowhere like I don't know, November, like close to like Christmas. Like he don't talk to me for like three, four months after that. Calls me out of nowhere, like nothing ever happened. And then I'm just like, <laughs> hey man, how's it going? And he's like, good. And he's just like ch chipper and just fucking talking to me like nothing had ever happened. And I'm just like, like he's like, I'm just like chit chat with me. And I was just like, hey man, like what the fuck? Like the last time you talked to me, we're like, you were fucking yelling at me. Like about the fucking, the, all this shit. It's like, are, what's up? Like, are we supposed to pretend like that doesn't, that didn't exist? That didn't happen? And my dad was like, I, I don't want to talk about it. And I was like, you, you don't want to talk about it? And he's like, no, I don't want to talk about it. And I was like, okay. And he's like, and that our friendship continued. That's like, <laughs> that's, that's, it, it just kept on going. He just gave me a call again and then he gave me another call and then things got, just kept on going. And that was like how my relationship was before I left Boston. That was like my relationship with my father six years ago, seven years ago. That's pretty funny, man, that, that, that you just agreed to ignore it and then it worked. You know, what's funny now is that like, uh, now it's a, a, a great inside joke. Like my dad 
like he made a joke recently where he's like like where i was hanging out with him and he's like if something came up about like me being angry and he'd be like don't fuck with eddie because he'll throw a couch in front of your fucking door <laughs> 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 or something it was like something where we, we we can joke about it now but damn man like it it like that took him a certain amount of like getting over my pride and just being all right with this dude is my dad and he's fucking wild style he's stupid but he's also you know i heard he, i guess it hurt his feelings that i fucking didn't go to the reunion with him and he couldn't tell me that just to fucking go and how much it meant to him and so he let it fester and he got hurt about it got angry and he didn't fucking tell me shit and then he missed my wedding or oh, he wasn't invited anyways but he missed it he didn't know he was about to fucking like never talk to me again fucking weirdo <laughs> Yeah, I did. I didn't invite my dad either, because like my only guests were my mom and my brother, and uh, you know it's fuck. It's, it was already hard enough having them here. Yeah, and like I wanted to be able to enjoy my own fucking wedding, <laughs> so it was just like lose lose. You know, either I, I either I carried the guilt of like doing something that I knew was gonna hurt him and not invite him and save a lot of problems and enjoy my wedding or i can make everybody happy and just be fucking on pins and needles the whole time which i kind of was but it was half the pins and needles because it was only one half of the family yeah no it works man you gotta fucking like you gotta just figure out how to take care of yourself and then have whatever kind of relationship you can have with these people in whatever capacity yeah i made a like a clear cut in my head like my family is my wife like that's it this is the new nuclear structure everybody else comes after and it's good, man. It's fucking healthy. It's just, it's weird every, like, I forget that I have all that weird shit over there. Because life is, is good. Like, I'm very happy, uh, you know, not making good money or anything like that, but we're happy. Yeah. And I have, like, the stability, like, emotional stability also that I wasn't very used to. And, I mean, the family, my, my wife's family, I adore them. It's, a, <laughs> it's sometimes it's a bit, it, it's strange, man. It's like, feel like Bart getting adopted by the Flanders. It's like, well, man, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it's great. But yeah, and then the phone rings and you look at the numbers like, oh yeah, there's that part too. And then you just uh, listen to all the shit. And then your grandma did this and your uncle said that. It's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, man. You got to take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. I'm happy. I'm actually very happy my mom's coming over because we haven't been able to be alone in a very long time. And it's just going to be her. Yeah. So I'm looking for, it's going to be stressful, but I'm looking forward to uh, being able to show her around and have us spend some time. And I'll do that. Like, I'm going to decide at the last minute whether I do the recordings or not, but I think I will. I want more information. Yeah. What are, what are you doing? What are you, uh, you just finished grad school, but what's going on? It's been stressful because I'm trying to look for work and I'm having another, I'm having my second kid in October. So like the pressure is really high and my wife is really pregnant and she's, her hormones are pretty crazy. So she's kind of like, we got to find a fucking job. And so I'm getting, I'm pretty stressed out, but it's nothing compared to the stress that I experienced in the last year of grad school. Um, because I, I, I didn't know anything about putting on a wrestling show and I <laughs> did it and it was very stressful because I wrote it and I, produced it and i had people make the costumes and i had to meet the wrestlers you know they're you know oh you hired like wrestlers like not only did i hire wrestlers i i befriended like a 
like a promotion of of an indie wrestler like pro wrestlers here in san diego and i like nice cultivated like the friendships over like a span of like you know, seven months or something like that and I, I i worked with like i made three matches it wasn't just like a match it was like a, an event it was an hour-long event and i wrote for particular people and, and it was it was hard it was a very fucking intense experience which i'm happy because a graduate school shouldn't be that easy and so i, I lost my mind um, but a little bit, I, I went up to the edge of crazy. So right now I'm trying just to recover from that because I, it was, it was too taxing. Um, even for, for me, I'm like, a, I'm a hard worker and I, I pride myself on being able to like push past, like, you know, the point where people would just kind of like, I'm not going, I'm not going there for, for art. That's too, that's too much. So I, f- I feel good, but I'm recovering from, from that experience. And mostly i'm stressed out trying to find whatever work i can which is hard because san diego it can be tricky staying here if you're in a certain kind of fucking industry it could be all right but being an artist is like you have to do a lot of work yourself there's hardly anything here there's hardly any commercial galleries there's hardly any jobs there's hardly any schools you know like i got mfa and i can teach at like college but and i do adjunct work and adjunct work is hell and I have to figure out how to make art. I got to find a space. I got to like pull people together. So well, I'm excited by it. Like I, I'm I'm not like bitching about it, but I'm like uh, trying to figure out what's the next step and how to like, how to not miss that because I'm, I'm 35 now. I'm going on 36 and um, I just don't want to have to waste that much time anymore. Like I, I feel like grad school, my experience in Boston and my my going to art school there and then going here for three years of graduate school, like I'm ready to be a professional artist. So I'm just trying to figure out what's the best, how to, how to do that in a place that's not very hospitable towards artists. Because you're staying in San Diego. You're definitely staying there. Well, it's like if it becomes too harsh of a climate, like to like find work, I'll, I'll go to LA, but I prefer to stay in San Diego because I, TJ is recovering from like that long bout of instability like of, you know, like all like the drug cartels and all that stuff. There was a, a bit of time where people were just kind of like not going down there and things kind of seem like it was a little bit too rough. But like TJ is like a really rich, culturally rich place. And so there's a lot of like potential there. There's a lot of spaces and a lot of artists who are like there doing stuff. And they're kind of like struggling in the same way as artists in San Diego are struggling, which it's like if you bridge the gap between the two cities, it could be a little bit more of a hospitable place. Um, a little bit more of a generous place for artists to survive. Um, because and if you live outside of a center, like a big cultural center, it's it's hard to survive as artists. And the hard thing about being in San Diego is that it, it's expensive. Yeah. So it's not like you get to like, if you live in Oklahoma or you live whatever, wherever, like it's like, it's harsh because there's not really any people there. There's hardly any community there, but like it's cheaper rent. That's a trade-off. But in San Diego, it's kind of hard because it's like, People are struggling to survive and it's like hard to people for, to rent spaces or people to sustain things that they want to do. But I, I feel very optimistic and I feel very like determined to like make it work here before I just like, I'm just going to move to LA for a job because I don't, I don't really feel the urge to have to move up there for art reasons. And I, I would prefer to keep my, my talent and my activities here and like see how TJ and, and San Diego grow. You've always been pretty, uh, I don't know, it's been a long time, but I remember you as always having like you're always doing shit, getting things ready, uh, organizing stuff. Yeah, and I have I have big plans. Like I'm very excited about the things that I'm like that are panning out, and the things that mean and people are 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 fucking like strip like building from 
the floor up. Like I'm, I'm very excited about it. So, and I, I'm very excited about it being here. Um, and, and I don't struggle with laziness or an inability to do the things that I want to do. So, um, that's why I want to stay here. I don't want to have to move to LA or move to New York where things would be easier because there would, there's so many more people doing art stuff. Yeah. It seems like it, it could also be like suicide because you just one in a million one out of a million yeah sure yeah and i think that i could i could be successful from afar too la is not far from san diego it's the same thing as like boston's not far from from new york or any of the cities that are like around new york city it's like things it's like that's that's how centers work you know like all the cities around paris is like like they i'm sure like most of the artists all the, the groundbreaking artists all the ones that are really great are like coming for majority of them are coming from around the other places going into paris right no clue man <laughs> i don't know if you want to go into this what like i don't get like museums i was telling this to a friend the other day like <laughs> it's like fruit to me it's very rare that i go and i pick out a fruit on my own it's always like you should eat this fruit and somebody's pushing me to eat the fruit like a fucking baby <laughs> and then i and then i eat it it's like oh man this is delicious <laughs> like i should do this more often uh and then i forget and it's like no, i don't want to eat any fucking fruit uh it's the same thing with museums. It never comes out of me to say like, "Hey, let's go there." It's just fucking, like, ah, fucking full of tourists and people taking pictures. I don't want to wait in line two hours to pay. Uh, and then like when I do go, it's like oh, just just come out like so refreshed, like, "Oh my god, this is so good for my soul." But it, it, it takes a while for me to go back again. Uh, yeah, I would imagine that like there's a lot of just creativity in general in that city, right? There's just kind of people are around there's a lot of musicians around i don't know i've never been there you know i thought i was gonna find like a, the music scene is what i was really interested in uh-huh and no man like this is this sounds so stupid I, i've yet to figure it out how it works but there's no garages so just that changes the whole idea of the u.s where you start a band in your garage you practice you go to certain bars you know yeah there isn't that scene there aren't bars where bands play and you move up and then maybe you go play to this other bar where you actually get paid. It's not really that way. So I don't know how, I don't think people from Paris become famous in Paris, at least as a band, maybe techno, maybe other stuff, but there's no practice space. That's fascinating. So you, can't, you can't really have a band. I remember one day I was walking and I heard a guitar, an electric guitar, and it was a shock like, oh, I haven't heard that in a while. Like just coming out of a, you know, from the city. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really know what's going on. I was, I was going to ask you about this other thing, but I don't know. Do you know about John Hamm? John Hamm? The actor? John Hammond, then. <laughs> John John Hammett? They just did a thing on the uh, on the New Yorker. It's just this dude in Paris that took a silly picture of himself uh-huh. and just plastered it everywhere. No. That, that's it. <laughs> I, 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 I haven't heard and apparently, it. And apparently it's art. And <laughs> there's a bunch of stuff like that that I get really annoyed at. And I don't understand why I have such a bodily reaction, you know? Like, I get annoyed at... I don't know, man. Like, I feel weird about the concept of art and people throwing the word artist around. I think I romanticize it way too much. Yeah. And sometimes I get angry, which I shouldn't. I should just be happy that people are doing, even if it's jokes, that they're enjoying it. But it bothers me. Like, like there's this guy around the neighborhood and he'll write some phrase type of phrase that you could come up when you're stoned like oh look at this clever wordplay and just tag it everywhere around the the neighborhood and he calls himself a street poet 
and people believe it. You know, this is like this emperor's new clothes type of a thing going on where I feel like I'm going insane. Like, are you are you serious? Like, he just writes his name everywhere and like some stoned phrase and uh, and he gets gallery shows. Put it. I, I don't get it, man. I sound like an old man right now. Yeah, you sound like you're old. You sound like you're like 70 years old. You're like, I don't understand conceptual <laughs> I, I don't get it, man. It makes me angry. And and uh, I was having a, there's this thing we do every year in my, I live in an apartment, just an apartment, not a complex. I don't know. It's Paris. You've seen movies. Uh, yeah. Uh, so it's like on the inside, there's an outside door on the inside. There's a bunch of places and they do uh, the neighbor's party, kind of like a block party, but just for the neighbors on the inside. And it's every year. It's pretty cool. Everybody gets drunk. You get to know all the new neighbors. You're a lot friendlier for like the next month and then everything disappears again. Yeah. And I met this guy who's a painter. And uh, like right now my job is, I always struggle when somebody says like, and you, what do you do? Because before I was a teacher, but it wasn't like I thought that my identity is I am a teacher. Like I'm just uh, like, I don't know, man, I'm me. I like, I like to do stuff. <laughs> I need money, so I have a job, but I can't go through like my whole life story. Like you, what do you do? It's like, ah, shit. Like, uh, I work here, but that's not who I am. Yeah. And this guy was a painter and he was like really trying to force me to say, I guess he, he, like, he saw something like in the way I was talking about certain things. And he was like, but you do stuff, right? Like you, you're creative. I was like, yeah, it's like, so, so you're an artist. And I just felt so embarrassed. I, I don't know if embarrassment is the right word, but I felt like, like I wasn't worthy of the word, yeah. you know. Like I, I feel weird go walking around saying I'm an artist, yeah. Because first of all, I think, well, what the fuck have I produced? Nothing. Uh, <laughs> I do have a certain sensibility. I do have a certain. Uh, I do make things. I just never put them out, and I don't know why I have that problem with that about either saying I'm an artist or admitting that I'm not an artist, but being in between, you know. Yeah, you probably feel a little bit weird. Like art, artists and art culture is like very, there's a lot of pretension. Yeah, that's the thing. You write your name on the wall and you could call yourself an artist. It's like, oh shit, well then I guess I am. Like I, I could do nicer stuff than that. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of those people like they, that, that's all they have to do and then they get to like pretend like they're artists, right? So they're not really, like you probably have a high standard of what you think is like actually a achievement in, in art right that you, you yeah, have it's fucking crippling man it makes it so hard to show anything because you have these ridiculous standards whereas people with no filter just put shit out and along the way they create something yeah so but, but what's an example of someone you think is like a, a high level artist that you kind of like someone that's made it so you put the idea of an artist on a pedestal like who is who is that for you that's the problem. I don't know anything new, so it's always the dead people that have been that have that aura already. You know, yeah, the but writers. I, but what is when that? When I write, like, what's the writers? Yeah, what are some writers? You're obviously a writer, right? Yeah, among other things, I'm a failed many things. Yeah, uh, but, but, but who are the the writers that you think are like high high achievers and that you would call artists that have earned the right to be called artists? So Julio Cortázar is a writer that I I, I love. His uh, it's very childish. It's kind of like a teenage thing. I love it. It just makes me very happy. And he has like this very childish sensibility. So I think I connect to that. But then there's other people who I admire. Like I, I wouldn't say he's the best at the craft. I just, I read him and he makes me cry. There's a direct connection. And then there's writers like uh, Piglia who 
Like when I read Cortázar, it makes me itch inside. Like I need to go right. I need to go right. Like it inspires me. When I read Piglia, it's like fucking give up. You will never be able to do this. <laughs> this is the mastery of craft. There's no way you could ever do this. Yeah. So th those are two examples. <laughs> so there's like they're like very like either you have like on one end like someone that's like you find really inspiring and then that makes you want to actually like produce something and then you have like a someone that's so inspiring that's crippling. Yeah, yeah, because it's like nothing's ever going to be as good as that. Not even 1%. <laughs> yeah, but you could, you know, you can imagine if you just kind of like that amount of hours that someone put into actually producing something. Yeah, no, no. The real problem here is my, is the excuses I set, the laziness, the how I spread myself thin, you know, because there's that, there's the photos. I'm doing this now, PhD, which I'm kind of doing, but not sure. You're in a PhD? Well, technically, but, uh, you know, I'm not, <laughs> I started another one like an idiot, but... Uh, yeah, you're in the PhD there in, in Paris? Yeah. Oh, shit. But yeah. I don't go to classes. It just means that you just have to do research. Right now, I haven't done it for a while. But I'm, I'm like entering this new phase where it took me a long time to understand that I need to, instead of always feeling guilty for not doing a bunch of stuff, I need to just like, if an obsession comes, just go after it and fuck everything else. So right now the obsession is the podcast. I wouldn't call this art, but it's definitely helping me shape some other stuff, mostly for the writing. So the gr big idea I have is like, one, this is for my kids, you know? Hey kids, yeah. look at me, I'm still alive. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the other one is uh, because I have no idea like how to show my things, it's like, all right, I guess I could just create my own audience. So I'll just put this and somehow link it to my photo site and maybe that could people will see the photos and then the writing is starting to get intertwined with this and uh, I'll start posting stuff there and you know I'll create my own little audience somehow yeah that's all artistic uh, activity you know it's like you, you're doing creative things you know you don't have to think of it as art that you're, you're making but you should be creative if you're a creative person it's kind of like hard to like I don't know suppress it or not like make a move on it even when you're lazy yeah, it's just, and it's very different types of satisfaction, man. Like when I get into the photo mode, oh man, it's like the drug, like you're taking the picture and you're waiting. And then like even like develop the film, so that takes even longer. And like this is this whole, like is it going to come out? Is it going to come out the way I saw it in my head? It's exciting. It's a, uh, I guess the ideal would be to be able to turn that into a living wage. Not even luxury, but just a living wage because that means more time you could spend on it. But yeah. What do you do now? I, I started working at a tech company, but I'm work. Uh, I don't do tech, so I'm just kind of doing like customer support. I'm trying to working my way up sideways. I don't know, but I'm happy there because it's pretty comfortable, and uh, I think I could have this parallel life because it actually it's so stress free that I'm able to actually do the stuff that I want to yeah, do, man, you, like creative stuff. It's like Wallace Stevens. You like Wallace Stevens? I don't know. Who's that? He's like a poet. He's an American poet, but he was like, he he sold insurance for all of his life. But in, <laughs> on, on his parallel life, he like was one of the greatest American poets of the 20th century. I think you like stuff like that. You have, you have access to this untapped source of just material, just stuff that comes in and, and like it creates a weird... Uh, average i guess of human experience when you're constantly hearing the same stuff this reminded me 
when we were in at Southwestern College and you were you tried to start was it the Grotto Art Grotto? Yeah. Like you didn't know exactly what, but you wanted to create a collective and you wanted everybody to give stuff. And I sent my horrible, horrible poetry. You're like, I'm not sure if I get it. <laughs> well, I wasn't sure what the hell I was doing at all. No, no, it's all right. Well, you, you had a better idea than me. That shit's embarrassing. But I remember, like, we had the meeting, and, and it was just fucking inspiring, man. Like, because because it was clear you didn't know, but you knew that you had to do it. And you were like, you're there. I'm still. I'm st- essentially. I'm still that person. Is that like I've become more convincing? So I still don't know what the hell I'm doing, but like I'm a little bit closer. Do you remember <laughs> trying to figure out you wanted to create like a fund so that you could help people create? <laughs> yeah. I remember someone had an idea of like making a rage room. Ah, that was me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That. So someone was like, you, we can go have a room where you could just go and beat up everything in the room, break yeah, stuff, and like just punch the wall. Yeah, and I actually saw that. That wasn't my idea. That was it. Was mostly uh, my friend Saul's idea. And then, like, we talked about it. It's like, yeah, we should open it. We'll call it the break room. And we just, like, get shit from the dumpster, take it over there, charge people to go in and break it. And I saw, I was walking around my neighborhood here, uh, like, last month, and I saw a fancy break room where people buy expensive china and break it. It's like, oh, God, that's fucking disgusting. Yeah, that's kind of gross. Yeah, it was better to do it with stuff that's discarded that you can, like, break to pieces. So that was, that was, yeah, that was the idea I posted. But. Said like, all right, how about we organize a raffle? <laughs> and then like, we saw all these tickets, and we say that you know there's going to be this much amount of money for the winner. And you're like, yeah, but we don't have that much money. You're like, yeah, yeah, that's a cool thing. Like, we just don't let anybody win, and we just keep all the money from the ticket. <laughs> yeah, but that's like, um, I don't know, what, that's not is that fraudulent? Like that? There's that. That's I mean, stealing money. That's like being deceitful. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know if you could get sued for that, but it was just funny. Like he, he said it with a fucking straight face and just everybody started laughing. Like, who is this crazy guy? Dude, I haven't thought about that guy in a long time. I, I saw him once. He was working on a trolley. I think he was a driver yeah. for a trolley. <laughs> yeah, man. And I was just that like, what always... the fuck? Like it's just this guy out of nowhere. He's just like he came out and he's like, talk to me. He, was, he like you know, you ever see somebody you haven't seen in a while and they're real open, like they're real kind of open people and they, they just like don't know how to construct a conversation that's not like too much um it's like he just laid it all out for me he was just like telling me about his relationship and like fucking like his fucked up friendships he was telling me how like people commit suicide on the fucking trolley tracks like all the time and i was like jesus christ motherfucker i haven't seen you in forever you even remember my name and then I, I saw him that and then i hadn't i haven't seen him since man i fucking love I've been trying to get him on the show, and he said yes a million times, but he's just fucking flaky. I'm going to get him eventually, because I really want to be able to have like a long conversation with him. I love him. Last I heard, he was working at SpaceX. Yeah, yeah he was probably the wildest one of you guys. <laughs> yeah, man. It's nice to hear what's going on. And I like, really, man, like, is there any way I could get the memory babe that's an object, right? You don't have a digital... No, it's a lot of it's uh, digital. It's like you go on the the website has a bunch of the videos that I made. I don't have any. I'm gonna put up the wrestling show like because I've documented it, and then I made panels, and that's all part of the memory, babe. So I'm gonna put that on the site, um, so you can see the wrestling performance, 
and then I'm gonna make digital copies of all this all the stuff that I can for the wrestling project in itself. And I have physical copies of all the the books, and so I didn't think anyone would care to like read any of that stuff. So if you want any, I, I can put that stuff on on my website too. I can make it like a point to to do that. Actually, it's like kind of encouraging because I, I had no idea. I thought we were just going to talk shit, kind of like kind of conversation <laughs> and also just kind of like catch up and stuff like that. You went straight for memory, babe, which is kind of was like threw me a curveball because I just know even when you brought it up, I was like, oh, damn, like you're going to have to get down with it. And I didn't know that you cared so much. So it's, I really appreciate it. Um, I appreciate you caring for it because I, I really do care a lot for the project. I put a lot into it. Well, I mean, like I said, it, it talked to me like it's it's not exactly the same, but I feel something there. So. Cool. Yeah. Well, if you if you want to see any of that stuff, I can like send you a package with the fucking the little, the books are really small. Like they're little tiny little books. They're like as big as an iPhone. And if so, I have like maybe like five or six of those books. Um, I can send you any of those things, and I can also send you PDFs of all those writings if you want to read them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, we'll trade. We'll trade. I'll send you some photos. Cool. Yeah, it sounds great. I was look when I was looking at your site, it was reminding me of things like, oh, he'd probably like some of these things that I've been doing, and then. Just, I don't know if you remember, but you always encouraged me to write. Even though, like, I never showed you anything that I wrote. You, uh, there was one time, I think it was Christmas, that you made a gift for everybody. For everybody, I mean, like, the, the group of friends. And you had, like, the little, um, silk screen of a Jackson Pollock painting. Yeah. You put a little note in there saying, like, please write so that I can read your stories. Oh, that's charming. I mean, ain't I a nice person, dude? <laughs> well, that, well, I mean, it's just, it was so encouraging genuine curiosity or or genuinely wanted me to get that out of so i don't know i i it's a very sweet thing of you well it's important like i i don't do it as like a i do it in a way to like i, I want to cultivate like creativity in other people and that's why it's, it's important to me to stay here instead of going to somewhere where there's an abundance of creative people you know like i think it's really important to encourage other people to express themselves and to go on that creative journey even if it doesn't amount to great art you know, it's not about making great art all the time. It's about making something and possibly if you go down the road and you're good at something, you could get to the point where you're a master at making that kind of art. But what's important is just to make work because if you don't make something, you're not going to, you're not going to discover any kind of capacity on any level. So please, yes, continue making, taking photographs, continue taking, writing anything, continue making podcasts because I think all of that is art. Like, I, I'm very, very excited about art still. Like, as of the moment that you met me when I was 19, 20, and I made that stupid Art Garado Club to now when I'm going on 36, like, I'm very, very much still enthusiastic about people making art, experiencing art, making it and getting it out there even when it's shitty. I think it's a very important thing. It's a very noble thing to do. I, I think it's one of the most important things to do with your life, if, to be creative. It doesn't have to yeah. be good. Sorry, I interrupted you. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's the image I have of you. You're always like really excited about it, and uh, like, yeah, I'm an artist. We're gonna do things. Let's do it. You, I'll help you do it. Yeah. And it's it's more important to do that than to fucking than to posture as an artist to like be like, yeah, look at me, I'm an artist. To be like, I think it's an important thing just to fucking encourage people to be creative. It goes a long ways, man. Well, thanks for the feedback. I think that's the name of the episode. <laughs> Cool, man. It's like a like a mini critique. All right. Well, thank you for listening to Rich Chocolatey. Oh, I forgot it. What was it? <laughs> Rich Chocolatey goodness. goodness. Yeah. Rich Chocolatey goodness. <laughs> yeah. Wait, it's that word. So you put that middle word in there. So it's like weird, right? So it's like chalk. 
Chocolate Lee. Chocolate Lee. I didn't do it on purpose, but I found out that it's fucking hard. Yeah, Chocolate Lee. Chocolate Lee. Rich Chocolate Goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, man. Rich Chocolatey Goodness is produced by Benjamin Morse and Pedro Escobar. Special thank you to our guest, Eddie Miramontes, who can be found on Instagram at projectionistpleasefocus or his website, projectionistpleasefocus.com, where you can see more of Memory Babe and Eddie's other projects. Music by Marco Moreno, with a little help from Pedro. You can find extra features, photos, and links from this episode on our Instagram and Facebook at Rich Chocolatey Goodness. This is the end of season one, but we will be back in the fall with brand new goodness. But in case you missed any past episodes, they can be found on our website at richchocolateygoodness.com. Thanks for listening.